Hello and welcome everybody. I am Kate Dillon from the Racing Insiders podcast. Obviously, that's where I'm, I'm here. Also from Crate Insider and the Cars Racing Show. And I want to welcome you today to, to the show. And I've got a great guest. And before that, though, I do want to make a quick quick announcement. Huge congratulations to my dad, Dick Schiltz. He was just inducted into the Iowa Hall of Fame of and Racing Museum this last weekend in Iowa. Got him sporting my Iowa Hawkeyes shirt because, you know, in the Iowa spirit there. And uh, just a big congratulations to my dad. And uh, I'm so proud of all that he accomplished. He's uh, probably the first guy that ever built a tube frame chassis. Um, he's well known for that. He built chassis in Iowa, raced all over the place. I mean, we were going to Florida when I was a kid and, you know, before any of those Iowa guys, before anybody from the Midwest was racing in Florida, we were doing it way back in the, in the early eighties. And so, you know, it's uh he really, it's really great to see that he's getting that recognition for his career. And it also happens to be my dad's birthday today. So he is not my guest today. I should have, I, I guess I probably should have had my dad. My dad gets a little, he's so super humble. Um, so if you see him or if you know him, uh, you know, or, or in this podcast, feel free to drop in a comment and I'll make sure that he sees it. Um, so with that, um, with that announcement, now I want to talk about, we've got a great guest tonight. Um, this is someone I've known for a few years. We run into each other at least once a year uh, at the Cars Racing Show. He's been, at, he and his company have been an exhibitor with us for, for all these years uh, that we've been doing the show. And so our guest today is Steve Maynard from Earnhardt Technologies. So Steve, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for anybody who is not familiar with Earnhardt Technologies, you know, let's just kick it off and tell us a little bit about what it is that you guys do. Well, we're a company that um, started 14 years ago um, in the business of building um, parts and components for um, a lot of different um types of racing in the beginning we were doing um work for a, l a lot of the cup teams and xfinity teams and and um uh arca teams and that and um kind of as we evolved on and on uh and went down the road a little bit we we ventured off into more of the short track saturday night um guys and um um started building um uh, you know parts and pieces for those asphalt late model cars dirt late model cars and uh dirt mods and um we've just kind of evolved from there and 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 gotten to where we are now through um you know just years of of being in the in the short track stuff you know and one thing that when i'm talking to chassis builders and we end up talking about, you know, chassis components and suspension. Your name comes up a lot, you know, Earned Heart Technologies. I, I hear you guys have some of the best bird cages that exist for dirt lay models. Yeah, we, we, I like to think so. Um, we, we've, we've worked hard on perfecting um, the parts and pieces that we build here. Um, we've, had, we've had a lot of good input um, over the years from some um national touring guys as well as some uh chassis companies that have worked with us in the past as far as that goes to develop parts and pieces that you know are are um on the cutting edge and and um do a lot of the engineering work and the hard the hard work the 
figuring the stuff out. So when we sell it to some of these guys, they can, you know, they can be confident that what they're buying is, is the best that it, the best and, um, uh, you know, fits, fits what their, their needs are. Um, so yeah, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we think that, um, you know, not only are bird cages, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff that we do is, you know, we go, go above and beyond as far as building the, uh, the parts and products to, to, um, you know, just tolerances and, and things of that nature that it's all about paying attention to details. And, um, we have a great bunch of guys here that, that, um, are all, um, pulling the chain the same way. And, um, at the end of the day, when, when the product is ready to go out the door to the, the customer, it's, it's top notch. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's so important to have a, a great team. I mean, that's the, as far as I'm concerned, anything that I'm working with, the number one thing about success is having the right team because one, one wrong choice can just tear everything down, you know, and, and nothing that other people see, but it's just the, everything that goes with it. And I've, we've met, you know, some of your people and, and they've just, just, everybody's been just great to work with. So that's pretty cool. Um, I do have a curious question for you because you mentioned that th this is just because I'm I'm not super well versed in chassis and suspension. So, um, you know, if I fooled anyone, I apologize, but <laughs> I really am not. So, you know, you you mentioned working with a lot of the the top super late model teams. Do you find that um, because, because I work with, you know, my main business is Crate Insider and I sell, you know, guy parts to guys that have crate engines and with having those lower horsepower applications do you find that what you learn with the super late models translates right over to the crate late models or do you find that there is an adjustment because that there's just less horsepower does it matter well it does translate um the, the cars are are basically the same as far as mm -hmm. it goes um but the difference between super super uh, late models and crate late models, I would say that the crate light models, being that they're lower horsepower cars, are you're looking for every little thing that you can possibly get. Uh, I mean, if it if it picks you up uh, a couple hundreds, you're you're going to get it. You know, you're mm -hmm. going to look. It, it's almost harder, really, to race the the crate cars. I mean, it's Kind of funny i think but it is almost kind of harder to win with crate cars and and race the crate cars because they are so uh they are so equal so everybody's looking for that just slightest advantage that they can possibly get um and that's where paying attention to the details of things that we do here um can show up big uh, for them crate guys as well as the super guys, but in particular the crate guys because those cars, you know, they need to roll as free as they can possibly roll. Uh, through their suspension travel, um, you know, all the way dynamically, statically, the cars need to be just as free and roll and and uh, and it's 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 tougher to it's tougher to find those. Um, little um 
little things um, nowadays. So you got to work really hard to do that. But but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely um, there's definitely a correlation between the two. No, it's great to know. I mean, some things translate and some things don't because, you know, in supers, you can just be like, you know, when in doubt, add more horsepower. And, uh, and I thought, but then on the other hand, like, for instance, when I talk to like Buck from Daytona one, and I'll ask him, I'll be like, okay, well, will this work great in this? Will this work in this? And he's like, Kate, the 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 product doesn't know where it's at it's just going to do the job it was designed to do <laughs> so so i've kind of stopped asking you know like power steering in this or power steering fluid in this you know and uh and and so it was just a curious question because that is that's what we do every day in my shop is trying to find you know to to try to cross every t and dot every i and when racers call me i just tell them you know if you want to if you want to win races Number one is going to be maintenance. I mean, like wash your car and do a bolt check. Like that's the number one thing, you know, number two is, is suspension. And like number three is anything you can buy from me. So I wish I was top of that list, but you know, I cannot overcome if you're not going to wash your car and do, do a bolt check. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like we got a few folks here. So uh, let me drop in uh, some of these comments here. I see uh, Scott's here. He's always the first one to comment. He says, happy Monday from crazy California. You know, happy Monday, Scott. And thank you always for being here. And I see Jeremy is here. He says, howdy, Kate. Congratulations to your father. That's an awesome reward for all his hard work. Yeah, it was it was really a proud moment. It was really great, great to see him do that. And our podcast producer, Tori Radford, is here saying, hey, Steve. Yep. Just not even saying hi to me. No, I'm just teasing you, Tori. I just saw you today. And uh, Brian's here. He says, good guys that also do driveline service. Okay. Well, I, you know, tell us a little bit about that. I'm, I'm not aware of all the things you do. So tell us a little bit about your driveline service. And by the way, if you're watching us live, feel free to drop in a comment or a question, you know, happy to, uh, to get those answered on the show. Yeah, so we have Rex Garrett here that has been, um, he's been here for a long time, and, and Rex is pretty much the the guy and the brains behind our, our driveline department. Um, he builds uh, a lot of the two- and three-speed transmissions, um, sets up rear gears for, um, for rear ends, um, and has done, I mean, he has a, a lot of experience in that field and a lot of knowledge that he's accumulated over the years. So um, he's pretty much perfected his craft there. And uh, uh, all of that driveline and um, transmission rear gear work is, is primarily for the asphalt late model world. Um, not so much on the dirt world, not, not really a whole lot of um, uh, transmission work or rear end work on the, on the dirt side of things, but, but, um, he stays busy on the asphalt side. Um, so we have, um, you know, he can, uh, have obviously service, uh, his little two and three speed transmissions that he builds, uh, service and build your rear gears. Um, at one time we had, um, we had a, uh, chassis dyno here we still have a chassis dyno here it's just not we don't have it open to the public now so it's uh we learned a lot through um testing on the dyno and and his uh, actual transmission dyno machine that he has in the facility here to um you know figure out um 
what you know what types of oils and, and gear cuts and all kinds of different things to 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 make speed with and uh, over the years of him doing that for uh, the cup cars uh, out of here um, he's um, he, he's uh, pretty sharp when it comes to that stuff so no, that's 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 really neat. And uh, I've got one more comment here, and I've got a couple of questions that are follow up. I see Neil is here, Neil McPhillips from Hooker Harness. What's up with my peeps? He says. <laughs> so it's always Neil was a guest on the show a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, learned a lot. I, mean, I always learn so much when you know doing the show, and I just ask kind of all the. Ho hopefully, my questions aren't too dumb, but um, hey, you know, there's always going to be somebody. <laughs> I'll take the. I'll take the bullet for that one, you know, <laughs> but thank you so much for watching and being here, Neil. Um, I wanted to follow up. You mentioned that you guys have a chassis dyno, but that you stopped opening it up to the public. Is it that uh, you just don't have time to, to do that aspect or do you use it now for really dialing in? I mean, there's so much you can learn from a chassis dyno far more than just, you know, basic engine dyno where you can, you know, just make one little change and see what that's doing for what's happening at the rear wheels. Nobody cares how much horsepower your engine has. It matters how much is translating to the rear wheels. So, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. Well, that was, um, obviously it was here, um, for whenever the cup teams were racing out of here and they, they dynoed everything before it left to go to the racetrack. Um, so it was just a service that we offered um, for a while. Um, it got to be where we were so busy inside the shop um, trying to get uh, components built and, and just really didn't have the manpower to, to run it. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of we got to where it was, uh, you know, got to be more, more um, uh, of a situation where we, we just didn't have time to, to man it and, and do it. Um, so, so we just stopped, stopped, uh, you know, renting, renting time on it, basically. Um, mm -hmm. uh, who knows? I mean, at some point we may, we may decide to, to fire it back up and, and offer that service again to, to some folks, but, um, currently it's, it's at idle. Yeah. Um, and, and with that now, like for any racers who, you know, we, we've got people watching from like all over the country and I'm sure that you've seen some results, some amazing results with the, some of the experiments on the chassis dyno. Just, I mean, I've been around them and, and I've seen that myself, but from your point of view, what would you recommend to a racer? Like, um, or, or what advice or, you know, maybe talk to the, the racers who are watching on why they might want to go to a chassis dyno and, and give them an idea of, of some of the things they can learn. Well, I think first and foremost, um, there is a lot to be learned on a, on a chassis dyno. Um, but I think, I think particularly for anybody that races great cars where the horsepower is low, um, I think it's a good opportunity to uh, take a look at your driveline angles. Um, so, uh, because there there's, can be a lot of horsepower gain and a lot of horsepower robbed from misalignment in your driveline. Um, so, and particularly with dirt late models, the way the cars are, the attitude that those cars have, as much rear steer as they have, as much 
chassis separation from the rear end as they have, we get in some really awkward driveline angles. Uh, they get your drive your drive shaft in a in, in some um, misalignment uh, areas that can rob horsepower from your from your motor. Um, I mean the crate cars especially, being that they're so low horsepower anyway. But uh, the supers it can be that with the supers as well. So that would be my biggest thing for for guys to encourage them to to get their cars on a dyno is is to you know not only to monitor to your what's going on with your engine your carburetion and your headers and all that stuff but uh but there's a lot there's a lot to be gained with the driveline uh driveline angle uh, angles in those cars as well and and it and that's can be a simple fix you know i mean we there's we 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 have spacers i mean you can buy spacers to you know the motor needs to be put in the car at at, at you just don't want to set a motor down in the car square because the car's not going around. The car's a dynamic added. The motor has to be set in the car basically crooked um, to so dynamically when the car is is at posture, your your driveline angles are all as uh, straight as you can possibly get them to prevent um, robbing any horsepower. That is a fantastic tip. And I, I have seen, you know, I've seen lots of engines that are mounted just straight and square in the car. Um, but a lot more, it's more and more um, that are happening where they're mounting them at an angle. And, you know, you've, you've mentioned the driveline angles. And then I've also heard stories about, you know, being on the chassis dyno and finding some of the binds you know anything that's binding in the suspension because then you're looking at it and you're you you can see it right there and because it's now those rear wheels are moving and now you're like oh hell i had no idea that this was happening you know maybe throw some you know gopro cameras in there but you know the the naked eye will do quite a bit too absolutely that's that's a good point yeah yeah any uh any time that you can you know, see what's going on under load under that car. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff is maybe you might think something's going on, but in actuality, it's not doing what you think it's doing. So um, you, there's a lot to be learned there for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all the way through. And I see you've got a few more comments here and, and uh, Mike says, um, howdy, Kate and Steve. Well, howdy. Thank you for joining us. And Darren says, hi, Kate. Been a while since I've made one of these. Well, thank you. I'm so glad you could make it tonight. And Neil says, sorry, what did I miss? Um, I'm not sure exactly where you came in at, Neil, but my dad was just inducted into the Iowa Hall of Fame and Racing Museum this last weekend. So I was giving him a big congratulations at the beginning of the podcast. So maybe that's maybe that's uh, kind of a catch up there. And then I've got a question for you, Steve, from Darren. He says, what are the best driveline angles for an IMCA stock car? Ooh, now I have, a, I have a feeling that that is a way loaded question. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> And I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I'm not real versed in the IMCA world uh, of things, um, particularly the stock cars. Um, but I've seen some of those races on television, and I've noticed the way that uh, those guys have got those cars. You know, they've got them postured up on the left rear, and and um, I, it looks like 
from what I've seen, there could be potentially a lot of problems um, with the way those race cars are 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 um, going around there and the way they look. Um, so I, I really don't have an answer for that. Um, you know, obviously, you're. I don't know what the numbers would be, but if there's a way that you could get that one of those cars on a pull down rig. Um, as well as a chassis dyno and kind of um, get a visual on what's going on with your drive shaft and what's, you know, that there's a lot that goes into that. How much rear steer is in the, in the rear of the car? How much, uh, how much rake is in the car? There's just, there's a lot of variables that go into, um, to, to, to figuring this stuff out. And, and, and like I said, with the stock cars, I'm, I'm not really familiar with, with those particular cars that much. So, um, but ideally you want, you know, you would want, um, you, you would want your, um, U-joints, um, to be to where there, there's no binding U-joints that could potentially, um, cause, uh, dry shaft problems or potentially, uh, enough movement in the, um, drive line to where, uh, the, um, dry shaft could be getting driving too far up into the rear of the transmission, um, and causing, um, horsepower, uh, problems there. Uh, I've seen cars, dirt late model cars that have had dry shaft issues, the drive line issues to where the dry shaft would be drove up because of rear steer drove up in so far into the transmission that they've actually gotten the transmission pretty well locked up or trying to lock up and cause the cars to just basically go numb. Uh, nothing, nothing from that point on once that starts to happen, um, nothing you can do that car to, to really fix it. And, and it's something that a lot of guys don't pay attention to. So it could be happening. And all along, these guys be thinking, "Way well, I have a shock problem, or I have a birdcage problem, or I have some other problem." When all along it was the dry shaft, just a, a misalignment problem with the dry shaft causing it uh, that can can uh, drive you crazy to try to figure a problem like that out. Yeah, and that's it's a great answer, and and it's I know it's a much longer answer too because. Um, for anybody who's watching and, and may or may not know, um, I've been working with Brian Littleton for the last few years of Race Logic Chassis Schools, and we do a stock car class, and we're going to be doing one. I'm going to go and put this link up on the screen, but um, racelogic.vip. This is not a five-minute answer to try to figure out driveline angles in a stock car. They are. Th this isn't a, a simple. It, it's like I like to say. Uh, I've heard this before, but for every complex question, there's a simple answer, but it's wrong, you know, because you could, Steve, you could have answered and just be like, oh, 15, 15 yeah. degrees. That's, that's, that's the answer. Um, this is a whole class. And on racelogic.vip, you can sign up to uh, to join us at the live classes and, and pay for that. Or uh, because I go there and I film them, then we do the online version after the fact. And so then you can watch, rewatch, rewind, you know, fast forward. It's all broken down into sections. And so if you're really looking to dial in the suspension and it's really all about your chassis stuff. I mean, we talk about shocks and we, we talk about all the things, you know, radiators and brakes and go through really the whole car. But 
uh, really even down to like pull down numbers and your tire program and everything else. And this year, the street stock class is going to be with the Murdys. So Dallin and Damon Murdy um, have absolute champions in the IMCA stock car world. And that's going to be in DeWitt, Iowa in January. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember the date right off my head, off the top of my head, but it's on the website at racelogic.vip. So I, I figured, um, I would just go ahead and drop that in here, you know, not to take away from Steve by any means. Uh, but, you know, if you're really looking for you know, the knowledge, I mean, I guess that brings us to another great question. Uh, is How much of it, tell us about how racing has changed so much, especially in like the last 10 years. It used to be the parts that you could buy. But would you agree with me that it's it's not what you buy, but it's what you know and having the best information and the most technology at your fingertips oh absolutely 100 percent correct um yeah it's it, it is it's absolutely uh, mind-blowing um the where we've gotten to in in the dirt late model world particularly uh in the last 10 years as far as um technology um if you know Back in the day, we had uh, in the '80s and, and early '90s, and 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 through then, I worked at I worked for a company, uh, Masters built race cars out of Indiana that built a lot of race cars. And at, during that time, um, you know, everything I look back on those times now, and and a lot of that was so primitive compared to what we do now. Um, there was a time a point in time that, you know, we still, you still adjust the wedge the same. You still, you know, you still tighten the cars up the same. You still free a car up the same way. We still, the physics of the car is still the same. It's just now in today's day and age, we have the tools to, at our fingertips to, uh, make, uh, adjustments, uh, used to, we would, okay, well, you know, a guy would come in and the car's loose. Well, you know, they would do a couple of just, and, and this is all based off of the driver's feel, you know, they didn't really know. They didn't know smash numbers. They didn't know load numbers on the wheels. They didn't know any of that. They had no way of measuring it. So, um, so they would make this basically the same adjustments that we would make now on these cars but now we have so much technology and so much data and so much knowledge about what's going on that it's easier now to uh you know to adjust these cars and make the adjustments and and everybody has access to that to that knowledge now so it's everybody's got it and it's made it it's made it tougher and, and, you know, everywhere you go now, everybody, everybody's, everybody has, you know, pretty much everybody has the same cars, you know, I mean, they're all, they're all good race cars. They all have, they all have strong points and there's, uh, there's, there's things now that, that, um, you know, in the day of, the eighties and nineties, you, you really didn't rely so much on, um, uh, 
shock builders or people like that to help you with your race cars as far as setup and balance and stuff like that. Well, now um, you really need to work closely with a, a shock builder um, on a consistent basis to um, to really even keep up, quite honestly. Uh, the shock technology is changing uh, day by day. Um, and it is, there's a lot of development and new things that are coming along that, uh, if you don't build a relationship with a shock builder and, a, and even your chassis builder, um, you're, you're going to struggle. Uh, even if you have all these other tools to, you know, the smashers, the pull down rigs and all the tools that are at your fingertips, um, you're still going to struggle unless you have connection and those people around you that are able to read that data to you and, and uh, interpret that data uh, that can help you um, get faster. Um, so, um, I mean, it's wildly changed. Um, there was a time, what I was going to say is, and I think it was in the, I want to say it was in the early 90s. Um, this is probably the most um drastic this is probably the thing that changed our late model the most is they took the left rear shock to behind the axle tube and when that, that happened you you remember you remember you probably remember seeing your dad's cars going around the racetrack and the cars were always flat and they didn't have a lot of yeah. attitude like the dirt lay model cars now the cars were right. always flat well mm -hmm. well they didn't have traction back in the day they had a traction but they didn't have traction like we have today once we moved that well, shock well, the and tires were behind the on the birdcage yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the tires were not the same size as they are today for sure exactly so once that went to once that change happened it changed the late model it changed it changed dirt late model racing probably the big the single most um, biggest thing that happened uh, so at that point once that happened all the cars got traction everybody had traction then it was just a matter of balancing that traction with the amount of steer so you can have all the traction in the world in your car and then then guys started working on the front ends to, to turn um, mm -hmm. with all that traction so you know, and and from that point, we've just we've continued to evolve into um, working on fine tuning the balance of the cars uh, to, to the point now where it's it, it is uh, you know like I said it, it, you need you need uh, you need support you need support from uh, engineering support if you can get it you need um, shock support if you can get it chassis support from your chassis builder i mean it's you need all that nowadays where back in the day you probably didn't you didn't need all that no not at all you could kind of do it yourself a lot more because it like you said a lot of the stuff didn't exist and you know would you say that today's dirt late models are also far more sensitive than they were back in the day i mean you know you know just a couple of you know turns when you're you know like adjust what do they say like a couple of clicks and and all of a sudden it's like oh okay 
blew the setup, you know, and you go from hero to zero in just a couple of turns of, of, uh, of like adjusting your shocks. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, a couple, you know, one little adjustment on a shock or one little adjustment uh, of less than 20 to 30 pounds of load in one corner or the other or missing a spring rate by 20 or 30, 40 pounds nowadays will, will absolutely send you to a B-man. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, so they are they are more fine-tuned adjustments now. Um, I mean, we I never would have ever thought um, in my life that I would ever see dirt late mall guys be able to adjust their cars with the fine-tuned adjustments that they do now. Like, for instance, pulling a pa- an eighth-inch packer out of the right front off of a bump stop. I mean, that is easy that, that that's where we are now that um and, and you know and and there goes to being able to um measure everything that we're doing you know i mean we 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 were able to gather data and uh, and measure what we're doing now so so we can get it down to the to the fine adjustments you know um so so yeah for sure now, would you say that racing was really in that's like it's golden days back in the like the eighties? Is is that the golden days or when were the golden days of racing? Or is it today? I would say for me for me the golden days was the late eighties and throughout the nineties. Um Do you have any favorite stories from back then? Oh, are you there, Kate? Yeah, I'm there? here. Do you have any favorite stories from from back then? Um, well, there was a lot, but you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I find it interesting that, um, you know, one particular guy, this this kid from from California, um, he actually moved from California to Tennessee, and his name was Scott Blomquist. Um, he uh. He used to come to like I didn't know Scott Blunquist from anybody when he first came to Master Build. I had no idea. This guy pulls up in a truck and he's going to pick up a car, a frame, a chassis from from us there. And he comes walking in the door and he's got the long hair and you know he comes walking in and he surfer look to him and I'm like, who in the world is this guy? You know, <laughs> and um, I thought, you know. This this guy, what is he doing? This guy surely not gonna is not a racer. And <laughs> sure enough, uh, he was a racer. Uh, he come and picked a car up, and well, he actually stayed there, and we built the car. Uh, he worked a uh, he worked with us a couple of days there, and I got to work with him closely and and see how he operated and his thoughtfulness, thinking process of building cars and and. Uh, he built, he took, so basically he, he came and picked his car up after we got it done, took it home. And, 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 uh, I thought, you know, I knew something was different about that guy, you know, I could just from working around him that, that, uh, he, there was something special about him. And, um, 
so he takes the car home and um, puts it together, finishes putting it together. And, and I think he, you know, I think he, he won like, I don't know that year, that first year he got one of their cars. I think he, I think he won 40 or 50 races in that car. And I'm like, you know, you, you, you really don't need to judge a book by its cover because he was like, uh, he looked like anything but a race car driver when I saw him for the first time. And, and we all know where he's at now. I mean, he's probably the greatest of all time. So. Oh, he's amazing. I know. I, I remember I, I became a Bloomquist fan when I saw him at, uh, I think it was a dream and they, you know, he, he was le leading. I mean, I think he'd fast qualify or something. He's on the pole and all of a sudden they stopped the race and they put him to the back because he had like plexiglass in his window and, and in the middle of the race, they decide that it's not going to be legal anymore. I mean, it's been through tech. It's already been through heat races and everything else. And now they've decided it's illegal. So they throw him to the back. And what does he do? He goes all the way through the field and he wins that race, even if they took it away. And I was like, you know what? Um, anybody who that that's a real racer that's going to there's so many racers that I've seen that, you know, maybe they spin out or, you know, if, if they have to go to the back, it's like maybe they do one more lap and then no, oh, hell, I'm done. You know, I don't want to I don't want to tear up my stuff. And then they, you know, pull in, pull out into the pits. But, you know, that's that's a competitor to be in there and be like, oh, really? I'll show you. And and this is no small race here. <laughs> what, was it the dream? Uh, yeah, I believe. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that somewhere in the last 10 years, I can't remember exactly which year. Well, in 1988, um, he, he, he went to the, in 1988, uh, he went to the world 100 in a master built car. Um, we had one car, one master built car in the field and it was Scott Bloomquist. And, and honestly, and, and he's told the story before, but I remember being there with Keith and Tater and, and, uh, Scott telling them said, man, I I don't know if I'd need to be here. You know, he said, I, you know, he'd never been there and never seen the place. He had no idea what it was like. And he, you know, he, there was a race in Tennessee that paid like 10,000. He's like, I'm sure I can go win that 10 grand. I don't know if I need to be here doing this. And, uh, uh, they kind of talked him into, you know, hanging around and just giving it a try. And, um, uh, I, I don't remember he, he, I don't remember where he started. I, I think he started like uh, seventh or eighth in the field. And, and there again, it was the only master built car in the field. And um, Jeff Purvis was, I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with Jeff Purvis, mm -hmm. but Jeff, Jeff was leading the race and Scott had got up to him and was running second to Jeff. And Jeff had won the race three or four times and Scott had never been there. So he was following the teacher around mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. well, for in his tire tracks for 50 laps and it was like on the 51st lap the scott said okay i've seen enough i've been to class long enough pulled out drove by jeff took the lead and went on to win and unbelievable i mean it's incredible i mean it I, and here i am a, a 18 year old kid you know and we're just winning the world 100 and all these people and this this you know history of this place and and all this is going on and i'm like what in the world and and that's probably my most rem, rem, the most race that that i remember um that has uh, affected my life the most is like you know he went in there and just uh won that race and from that moment on it 
it basically it changed the trajectory of masters built race cars at that time basically they went yeah. from, from building 30 or 40 cars a year to to building 300 a year because of that one that one race and that one guy so uh, it was good times good times Absolutely. And especially then, even especially back then, the World 100 was the Super Bowl of all Dirtly model racing. I mean, there was now we've got all the crown jewels that are all over and, and racing, you know, before the, the show started, we, you and I were talking about how racing is, is basically year round now. I mean, there's no off season. And, you know, that it is what it is. But back then, that was so standalone in its way. And and I love your description, you know, just seeing this California guy, but it reminds me, there's this picture of Scott um, from somewhere in the eighties. And it's like, he's standing there and it is almost like Fabio, like, you know, where it's just like this, his majestic long hair and it's like blowing in the wind. And it's just, it's just it, the majestic, I think is the word that comes to mind. Yeah. That was actually a world 100. Right? Oh, okay. American flag was in the background. There was a race that I don't remember, I think early nineties, it got canceled on Saturday and running on Sunday. And when that picture was, oh, you know, exactly which one I'm talking about. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And I see, we got some more comments here and uh, let's see. So uh, let's see. Uh, Neil says, you know, congrats to my dad and Darren, you know, when he realized that this was a hard question about the driveline angles, he's like, haha, sorry. <laughs> and probably sorry, not sorry, but that's all good. And Dell is here. My good friend, Dell, he says, hello, Kate and Steve, congratulations to your dad, Kate. And uh, thank you. I'll be sure to pass that on. Um, Mike says, and it, like on the chassis stock car, you know, probably make it as straight as possible for as long as possible. And then here, Ray says, I learned that lesson a long time ago, talking about prejudging. This nerd looking guy showed up, made fun of him, and he kicked all of our asses. <laughs> That's a, just probably a really good lesson to learn right there. Yeah, and I want to congratulate your, your father as well, Kate. That, that's quite an achievement uh, achievement for him to be to be put in the Hall of Fame. Of, and, and of all places, Iowa. Yeah. Great mm -hmm. state. I've been there many times, a lot of different tracks there. And that that's that's something to be very proud of. Thank you. And I'll be sure to pass that on. And, and that's where I grew up, you know, Waterloo, Iowa, and which was the, just the center of all racing in the late seventies, early eighties, um, before my dad like moved down to the South to between Tennessee and North Carolina, working for NASCAR teams and stuff. But before then, you know, we, we were in Iowa because there were more racetracks in Iowa than anywhere else in the country. I would say that that's still true today. Honestly. Yeah. Well, and even if it isn't more racetracks, you can race more nights in Iowa than you can anywhere else. Because if you're in if you're in North Carolina or if you're in the Carolinas or down south here, other than Millbridge running on Wednesday nights for the small cars, if you've got a dirt late model or or um, you know street stock anything like that, I don't know that you'd be hard pressed to find a track that doesn't just run on a Friday or Saturday night. You you have your choice of many for Friday and Saturday night. But there's nothing else. And you go up to Iowa and you can race, what, four or five nights a week. Oh, yeah. Good racetracks, too. Oh, amazing. All that black dirt. Yeah. One of my favorites was um, Farley. Um, used to have the the Yankee. At yeah. Mm -hmm. 
we went out there. Um, I was able to go out there and, uh, I don't know if, you know, we won that race a few times and with some guys that had masterboat cars, um, Steve Bowley, um, okay. a few times out there. And, and that was, that always loved that track. Of course, I think they shortened it now. It used to be a lot bigger than what it is, but, um, that was always, that was always one of my favorite places to go, uh, there and, um, been all over Iowa though. So. Yeah, there's so many racetracks. I mean, you, you can't hardly throw a rock and not hit a racetrack there. <laughs> a lot of fairgrounds. And um, and and I'm just going to mention this on the show, too. You mentioned Farley. Um, something I don't talk about a whole lot, but, you know, a few years ago, I guess it was kind of in the in the lockdown days, you know, just a few short years ago when there wasn't as much to do. I ended up starting another channel called Racing Rewind. So if anybody wants to type in racingrewind.com, it'll take you right to the YouTube channel. But uh, what I've done there is it started with Steve Hendren, uh, honestly had uh, some VCR tapes of his old races. And so I hooked his VCR up to a computer and I digitized them and then was able to put them on YouTube. So once I did some of his, I reached out and said, hey, anybody that's got races, you know, send me the VCR tapes. You know, I'm going to do my best to keep them safe. I mean, every one of these is going to be 30 years old. So I'm gonna, I haven't broken a VCR tape yet, but um, I started digitizing these races. And so I actually do have some from Farley. Um, interestingly enough, and um, that's from, uh, I finally met him this weekend, Jerry Mackey, who is an announcer at several of the Iowa racetracks. He's the one that sent me some videos and I actually got to meet him this last weekend. And that was, that was pretty cool. So, you, you know, you might check out the Farley races on Racing Rewind and you might even find, I have, I couldn't tell you because I mean, that's just a process. I just try to get them up online because it would be my dream, honestly, to find some good races that my dad's in. You know, there's, you know, now we, we pull out our phones and we, you know, we, we basically document all of from what I ate for breakfast to, you know, whatever, but it, it wasn't like that in the eighties. And so I'm, I'm still waiting to, to find some of these races that where my dad might be racing and that'd be really cool. Fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Sure. Yeah. Got to have side projects, right? <laughs> My side gigs have side gigs. <laughs> but if it is a fun channel, not something I do every day or or you know, work hard to like post weekly, but you know, it's um the nostalgia of all that we've worked for to get to here. I think it's important to honor that and not let it be lost. And if, if I can be a part of helping that happen by, you know, taking a few hours to, to transcribe a videotape and make it digital so we can share it with the world. Um, I can just imagine somebody else's kid, you know, watching this stuff and saying, that's my dad right there. And, and there's nothing like that feeling. That's awesome. That's, that's absolutely awesome. And you're right. We need to, we need to preserve the history of our sport and, uh, present it to the younger generation coming up. And so they, they are aware of where this sport came from and uh, what it was built on and, um, you know, protect that. Yeah. And if we don't upfit the technology, we're just going to lose it because those, those tapes are going to do nothing but rot away. Right. 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 Yeah. That's where you. Yeah. 
So anybody watching that happens to have VCR tapes of races, you know, and I don't mean anything, it can be professional, but I've got some of those. And then I've gotten ones where there's just somebody in the stands, you know, cheering for their person and with a video camera, it's just going back and forth and it doesn't have to be, you know, we're, we're not going to have the gimbaled drone footage that I, you know, I can do all of that today. We're not going to have that from back in the day. So if anybody's out there and would like to see that, um, they just, you know, reach out to me and, and we can work out the details. I always return everybody's VCR tapes. I mean, I'm going to return them. I'm not going to, I'm not trying to take them. I, once they're digital, I, I've got everything I need right there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, just one of those things. So what do you do for fun besides, you know, work? Obviously you work and do some cool engineering stuff, but you know, what do you do for fun? Well, besides work and travel and uh, that sort of thing, I, I, I like to golf. I mean, I do like to golf and um, I don't, I don't get golf as much as I would like to, but um, I, I do like that. And, um, you know, um, you know, I, I was into, you know, messing with some older cars and stuff at one time and, and may eventually get, get back into that at some point. But, um, I, I just, and spend time with my grandson. Um, he's seven now, so he's in a lot of sports. So that keeps me, that keeps me going too. So. Oh yeah. Kids in sports will definitely keep you busy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's only seven. <laughs> <laughs> so so traveling do you go to a lot of races then i do i spend a lot of time on the road um i don't know how many i went to this year i haven't i haven't looked it up um probably not as many this year as i have in the past um but i would say between uh 40 and 50 at this point that i've been to um probably next year will be quite a few more added um i want to i want to get out west a little bit um, further, I want to go out and, um, I, I want to go out to, um, to, uh, I also want to go back out to Iowa for a while. I want to go to Kansas and maybe even Colorado. I think there's a couple series out there that are trying to get going really good. And, and we have some customers out that way that I'd like to go out and, and, um, uh, spend a little time with and, and, um, try to, try to drum up a little business out, out in that direction. And, and, uh, um, but, but yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I attend a lot of the Lucas oil races, a lot of world of Valor races. Um, and then, you know, several of the regional races that are around, I, I'll go to, I, I feel it's important that, that, um, you know, that I go to the track and be seen and, and, um, you know, talk to guys and there's a lot, I, I get a lot of inspiration by going to the racetrack and seeing people and talking to people and, and a lot of the products that, uh, quite honestly, that, that, um, we've built here have, have come from, um, from talking to crew guys and some of the, um, some of the racers that, um, whether it, you know, be something simple or, or, or something, um, you know, pretty, pretty trick, uh, you know, I'm always, I feel like it's important to be, uh, around those guys that, that are doing it for a living, uh, you know, day in, day out working on these cars and, uh, always looking for things that, 
will make their life easier as far as tools and, and parts and pieces that are easier to work on, user-friendly. And and I I don't feel like that um, – I feel like if I, I'm not at the racetrack and, and make myself known um, that, that I would probably, you know, it would be a lot harder to come up with some of the things that we come up with as far as um, – product uh, you know i'm i'm a big believer in you know reaching out to customers and you know kind of addressing the needs and uh you know and, and i love that you're doing that because you know i think there are a lot of companies out there that you know and it, it's kind of naturally you think oh you know what i i think i can get in their heads and like th this is what i think they need and then you you put a product out there and then it flops and you're like why well because it really wasn't something that they were struggling with but when you can directly ask them and, and uh, you know, like one thing we would put them doing trade shows, you know, we reach out and we ask the exhibitors, we, we send out a survey. All right, give us some feedback on this stuff. We send a survey out to racers. Tell us what you're looking for. And if you tell us what you want, we will give it to you, you know, <laughs> but this idea of trying to anticipate what somebody wants is is almost impossible. So we, you know, with, with the shows, we do it with surveys and here you're able to talk the totally different kinds of products that we're delivering here. Um, but something technical, it's, it's so great that you're out there. And, and is that where most of the ideas come from for like some of the new products? The biggest, the biggest majority of them uh, comes from me being out. The, the guys are out on the road, right? Um, there's a there. I mean, there are things that um, between the guys here at the shop and myself, um, you know, put our heads together and come up with. But um, there, there's a there's a big variety of things that um, that do come from from those guys out there and, and listening to them and what their needs are and and, uh, and yeah, I mean, the, you know, this stuff is it's too hard to you know. I don't want, there's a lot of things that, you know, you think about, you'd like to build and design and, and go through all this and, and get it out there. But it's, it's nice to get a little feedback on, on your, what you're thinking before you go ahead and go through the process of the engineering process, the, the manufacturing process, all the way out to being on the shelf. Um, so it, it's nice to get some feedback before you even start the process to, you know, to know whether, you know, to make a decision whether to press forward with building that part or, 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 you know, maybe that's something we ought to just, you know, you know, leave alone. Um, mm -hmm. so, um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, the majority of the stuff that we do is, uh, inspired by a lot of the guys that are out there on the road. That's great. You know, it be, because it, to manufacture a product is no joke. You know, the investment in, like you mentioned, engineering and then, you know, prototyping. And, and then if you're not going to just build one, I mean, it, you know, maybe you throw out a prototype every once in a while and, you know, bring it to a show and just kind of get some feedback. And then from there, decide whether you're going to go full bore. I don't know is, if that's, is that still a strategy that's maybe used in, in, um, you know, whether it's in, in your racing company or others, or is it pretty well vetted before it ever gets to the prototype stage? Well, I mean, there's, 
there are some stuff that's that's uh, we'll go ahead and press forward with and, and get out there to R and D um, with some guys. Let them R and D it to, um, to to help us. You know, there's some things that are pretty pretty simple that we you know once we talk it over and and hear them out, hear the hear the needs of the guys that are out there. We pretty much have a good idea that. If if this guy here needs it, then it's probably going to be okay to go ahead and press fo- press forward with it and build some. But mm-hmm. there there are some parts and pieces that um, you know we need to probably go ahead and and uh, you know R and D a little bit. Go ahead and build build a prototype. Uh, go ahead and get it on someone's car. Let them test it, and and um, and and go from there and. You know, there's, you know, it costs to do that, but, but, um, you know, a lot of times that's the only way you're really going to know on, and, and particularly in suspension components is when oh, you yeah. build something and really try it. Um, and, and it could be just a, you know, it could be not a complete new product. It could be just a, a, a revision of something that we've done already mm-hmm. uh, um, to better it or to, to make it you know, a little different or a little bit. Mm-hmm. Great. And it looks like we got a couple more comments here. So Chris says, good guy right there. So you're a good guy, Steve. And I think you are too. And then Shane is asking, Steve, what late model series in Colorado are you going to? Uh, that is the, I believe, the High Plains series. I believe that's the one I'm going to go out and and uh, and visit. I, I believe uh, I believe it's the High Plains series, um, if I remember correctly. But they race mainly in Colorado, uh, maybe a little bit in southern Montana, um, up and through that area, maybe even over in the Dakotas a little bit. Um, I gotta I gotta do a little more a little more research on on scheduling. When. Okay, cool, cool deal. Well, I can barely believe that it almost an hour has gone by since we started this conversation. This yeah. is just kind of, kind of. Oh, and 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 Shane actually says, "Yep, that's it." You know, that is that is it. High plane series, um, cool deal. But I have, I have truly, and I've learned some things tonight, and um, I have really enjoyed this conversation. And I want to, I just want to thank you so much for, for being on the show. And we, we didn't even hardly talk about the cars racing show, but of course that's how you and I connected. And, um, I, I'm just going to announce right now that you guys are already signed up. And so you can see Earnhardt Technologies at the, uh, cars racing show, which is going to happen January 5th and 6th of, uh, 2024. So we're just, I mean, we are two months away. I know it seems like a forever and a day away, but it is not very far away. Uh, we're already gearing up and and getting prepared for it, and, and anybody that's listening, I I would I would encourage you to come to that show. Um, we do the other shows, the uh, PRI shows, and some other some other shows, but there's something special about the car show that that seems a little different than than those other shows. Is and one thing for me that I I feel like is is makes it a good show is is um, the one-on-one contact with the people, uh, the way it's laid out, you're not, 
you're not walking on top of one another and you're not just overwhelmed with with people um uh, you know i have time to spend with um with with everyone normally everyone that comes by i'll have time to spend with them you go to some shows and it's just not possible the the amount of people that the foot traffic that comes through there and your list of vendors just continues to get better and better and better and and um, so I, I would definitely would encourage anybody to, to come, to come and I'd make plans to, to come and see that show. Thank you so much for, for that little endorsement there and testimonial. Now, where can people find, um, Earnhardt Technologies on online and, and how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, well, it's easy to go to our website, which is EarnhardtTechnologyGroup.com. Also, we have a Facebook page. Darnhart Technology Group. And of course, do the old-fashioned thing and pick up the phone and call us. Uh, uh, 704-6030. And uh, any of those uh, ways right there, they can get us. And uh, we'd be more than glad to uh, help them. Excellent. And, and I believe you would. And I want to thank everybody who is watching and listening, you know, wherever you are, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, like us, follow us, um, all of those things, you know, you know what to do. Uh, for anybody who's listening on the podcast, we do go live every Monday night at 7pm. And we do this on the Crate Insider Facebook and YouTube channels, um, because I already had that audience. So I didn't have to build another one from scratch. <laughs> so and that's my other business, um, other than the Racing Insiders podcast. And, um, you know, so join us live. That way you can have your comments in. Or, you know, if you're catching this as a video in, in what's great about the podcast, you know, we're not really showing. We're just telling on this on this show. So you can you know, go down the road and definitely subscribe to us. Leave us a review on iTunes. Um, that's that's really helpful so that more more racers and people that are in the racing community can even know about our podcast. So you can just look up Racing Insiders Podcast wherever you catch podcasts. And we will uh, I just thank you for watching and listening. And I'll de definitely look forward to seeing you next week. So thank you again, Steve, for being here. And thanks, everybody, uh, for for listening and watching. And we'll see you next time.